For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our first hymn, as we did last week, I will ask you to stand. You may sing if you like. You may not sing if you like. Or if you do sing, please sing quietly. Um, But we will look at hymn number 85. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. What a good reminder in the midst of all this, that God is wise, that he is immortal, and that he is working behind the scenes, even when we can't see. So let us stand and sing hymn 85. bow our heads as we pray our prayer of confession. Blessed Lord God, your word searches our hearts and condemns us. We are not poor in spirit. We are proud and self-dependent. We do not mourn over our sin and the sin of others. We hide and excuse our sin while judging others for their sin. We are not meek, but are eager to defend our own rights and reputations while caring little for your good name and the name of others. We hunger and thirst far more to get our own way than for your righteousness. We easily forget the mercy that we have received, and as a result, feel little mercy toward others. Our hearts are not pure, but are divided between serving you and serving our idols. We have jealous thoughts that promote strife in our words and actions, instead of loving and pursuing your peace. 
We flee from the smallest hint of persecution, eagerly protecting our own comfort and security, instead of boldly proclaiming your truth like the prophets. Lord God, we confess before you that we deserve your eternal curse in all these things. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ, in whom we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. His dependence, mourning, meekness, hunger for righteousness, mercy, purity, peacemaking, and faithfulness even to death are the righteousness that enables us to receive your blessing. Because of his obedience, our reward is great in heaven. Lord, teach us to live as those who are blessed in Christ. Help us to proclaim to others the mercy we have received and to live lives that are in line with that mercy and holiness. Help us to love the righteousness that redeemed us and to long for the days when you will work that righteousness in fullness in our hearts. Purify our hearts and cleanse our minds increasingly so that we may endure hardship as good soldiers for Jesus Christ. And may delight to bear the burdens of those whom you have placed around us. Amen. And hear these words of assurance from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, it's the passage that that particular prayer of confession was based upon. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. And I would encourage you, if you are following along in your own Bible, to keep your finger there. We will reference it later today as well. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the time when we would typically collect our tithes and offerings. Um, There are baskets here at the front. There's a a, uh, uh, collection plate on the table on the way out the door. So please place your offerings there. As I said last week, if you prefer to mail them in, uh, please continue to do that as well. But I think Nancy has something to play for us while we consider. No, she doesn't. Okay, sorry. That's what we get for. That's what we get for planning. All right, any prayer requests today as we approach God's throne in prayer? Please lift up the Pearsons. Cooper had his uh, wisdom teeth out late this week, so pray for them. 
uh, that God would bring him quick healing and quick, quick relief from the pain and that he doesn't get all some of the complications that can be involved with that. Please continue to lift up our elected officials. Um, wow, I am just off. We'll pray and then we'll sing. How's that? Please continue to lift up our elected officials, our doctors and nurses, um, the people that are involved with the direct um, treatment and dealing with this particular virus. And um, just uh, continue to pray that God removes this virus and thank him for the grace that he has given us in removing it from us to the extent that he has. We are on the road, it seems, to recovery. And so we need to thank God for that. So let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for the grace that you have shown to us. We thank you for the healing that we have seen from this virus as um, infections are going down, as recoveries are going up. And yet we still live under the difficulty of this. We live under the difficulty of um, growing knowledge. Uh, That's great that our knowledge of this virus is growing, but it's difficult because A lot of times we seek to make decisions that, in retrospect, may seem to be overkill. And yet, at the time, we're wise. And so, Lord, help us to make wise decisions based upon the information that we have regarding this virus. Help us to be wise in our interactions with other people, protecting ourselves and protecting them, reminding ourselves that your call in that sixth commandment against murder doesn't just mean that we don't murder. It means that we take into our hands every opportunity to preserve life according to the knowledge that we have. So please help us to live in that wisdom. Please help us to live in the wisdom of your word as we seek to apply it to our lives, as we seek to live according to it, And to put into practice the commands and the rules that you have given to us. Help us to live in wisdom in regards to our prayer life. In bringing our prayers and petitions before you. In knowing when it is time. To cease our anxieties. And to bring our thanksgivings. Our difficulties. Our joys. Our requests. All of those things to you with thanksgiving. So that we might find your peace. We lift up to you today, Lord, the Pearsons, and ask that you be with Cooper. Help him in his recovery from his surgery and be with his family as they minister to him and as they help him through this time of recovery. Guard him against some of the difficulties that can come from having your wisdom teeth removed and put him back on the road to health. We lift up others who are traveling or or maybe traveling this week. We ask that you give them safety on the road, that you look after them and the cars around them. We think of those who are ailing and unable to be with us because of illnesses or because of difficulties. And we ask for guidance from doctors and guidance um, for their recuperation. And Lord, We thank you for your grace, even in the midst of this odd time. I have botched the order of service today. It's not sinful. It's not tarnishing your 
your glory in any way, shape or form. But it's just a reminder to me that we are not living in normal times. For some reason, you have seen fit in your glory to unleash a virus. That may or may not be as deadly as we think it is. That may or may not be as contagious as we think it is. And yet it has disrupted our lives according to your sovereign plan and according to your sovereign glory. And our falterings and our fumblings in the midst of this as we try to gather together again. As we try to figure out how worship and life in your presence is going to look in a COVID-19 world. We are bowed down by the weight of the fact that all of creation groans in anxious anticipation. Even the microscopic parts of creation are groaning in anxious anticipation of your return. Of the return of our Savior who will once and for all redeem all of creation for your glory. And Lord, we ache for that time. We ache for the time when we are redeemed and glorified once and for all. When creation is redeemed and glorified once and for all. And we no longer have to live in fear of microscopic organisms. We no longer have to live in fear of tripping and falling and tearing a rotator cuff. We no longer have to live in fear of the loss of loved ones and the loss of our own life. We no longer have to live in fear of living in a broken world. Help us to seek you above all things in this time of difficulty, in this time of oddity, in this time of interruption. Help us not to complain, but to seek your face. Lord, we know that you hear us. We know that you will take this virus, protect us from it, and you will use it for your good and for your glory. But right now we cry out with many of the psalmists, how long, O Lord? How much longer does life have to be odd? How much longer does life have to be weird? We know the answer is as long as you deem necessary for your greatest glory. Help us to rest in your peace. Help us to rest in your sovereignty. And help us to bring our questions and our concerns directly to you. And to live in trust in you and in you alone. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Please take your hymn book. Tim to turn to hymn number 124. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide. Whatever happens to us, God is sovereign and in control. So we have no reason to dismay. We have no reason to despair. So let us stand and sing hymn number 124. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide.
please be seated. Our Apostles' Creed is a little bit different this week. If you say the one you're used to, that's quite all right. The truths are the same. The language is just updated a little bit. But church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs. We are continuing our study in Proverbs, the study of these three different individuals who are stuck there kind of in the midst of Solomon's call to guard against adultery, to guard against sexual sin, which we'll pick back up next week in the rest of chapter six and on through chapter seven. But today we look in verse 12 through 19 at the scoundrel, at the villain. So please join with me as we read a scoundrel and villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks his eye, signals with his feet and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up dissension. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Let us pray. God and Father, you are great and worthy of praise, and we do thank you for your word, your word that leads us to wisdom. Make us wise today as we consider these words from Proverbs chapter 6. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The troublemaker, the rabble rouser, the instigator, the stirrer of the pot. We all know someone who seems to do nothing but cause mischief. It does nothing but sow the seeds of discord wherever he or she goes. They delight in causing destruction in turmoil. They take joy in seeing people fall. Do you know anyone like that? I hope not, but it may even be you. In today's passage, Solomon warns his son against a new category of fool, the wicked, worthless person who sows discord wherever he or she goes. As we look to Solomon's warning today, we will be introduced to this villainous scoundrel, We will see that his heart is deceitful above all, and we will look for a better path. So first off, let me introduce you to the villainous 
scoundrel. Solomon opens up this section with an abrupt introduction to a new category of fool. It's important for us to understand that this is not a complete introduction to this person, this scoffer or this fool or this mocker as he is labeled throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs. We've actually already seen glimpses into the mind of this man or woman in chapters one and two, and we'll look more into it as we go through the rest of the book of Proverbs. But here we begin to get a fuller picture of this person that we've been introduced to in chapters one In chapter two, Solomon opens up by giving us two names of this person. The first is scoundrel. Now, scoundrel is not a word that carries much weight in our world anymore. We typically think of the scoundrel as being that impish young child who will ultimately grow out of their mischievousness. But this word here is a word that as Hebrew thought evolved over the centuries, was a word that was actually used for the name or for a name of Satan. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 6, in Paul's words to the Corinthians about not being unequally yoked or not having a Christian married to a non-Christian, he says, what business does Jesus have being yoked to Belial? Which is another name for Satan. And Belial is the word here used for scoundrel. It's not a nice word. It has within it the idea of worthlessness due to evil. It has within it the idea of, as one commentator said, being called Satan's man. But if that wasn't clear enough for his son, He adds the description villain. Villain's another word that we only think of oftentimes in context of uh, lightness, in context of superhero movies who are fighting the villain. But villain here is a word, a compound word, which literally means man of wickedness. So if as if calling this person Satan's man was not enough, Solomon adds the adjective for the name saying that this is Satan's wicked man. We don't start out with a pleasant picture, do we? But Solomon not only introduces us to Satan's wicked man, he also gives us a description of this man, which we'll consider in a few minutes. And he tells us the fate of this man. The fate of this man, this person is found in verses 15 in verse 15. And the reason for his fate is found in verse 16. Proverbs 6.15 Therefore disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Why will God bring instant and immediate judgment upon Satan's wicked man? Because he has characteristics. Six, no seven things that characterize this man that are detestable to God. Matthew Henry says, God hates sin. He hates every sin. He can never be reconciled to it. He hates nothing but sin. And this is why judgment comes upon Satan's wicked man. It's because God hates sin. It's tough for us to hear because we have been conditioned by our culture to think that God is merely a God of love. He loves everybody, doesn't he? 
In a sense, yes. But God hates sin. And because God hates sin, he must judge sin. And this person, this scoundrel, this wicked scoundrel will be judged by God because he hates sin. So in this first part of this, of what we consider today, Solomon introduces us to the villainous scoundrel, to Satan's wicked man. We also see in this passage that the heart is deceitful above all things. As he describes this man to his son, there are two sets of characteristics that are listed twice. The first one that I want to look at is the idea of the heart. In verse 14, he says that there is deceit in his heart. And in verse 18, he says that the heart devises wicked schemes. This idea that he has here in telling us that he plots evil with his wicked heart, that he devises schemes with his wicked heart. This word for plot, this word for devise is a word that is used in two different ways. It's typically used for the artist as he engraves his art upon a piece of wood or a piece of metal. But it's also used for the farmer as it means to plow and to sow seeds. Satan's wicked man is artistic in the seeds of discord and dissension that he sows among the people of God. This is the artisan farmer of conflict. He or she plans and plots and crafts well the words he or she uses to pit one person against another. And this person does it because as Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is the seat of our wills, the seat of our thoughts, the seat of our emotions. The heart is the inner man, the inner person that drives us. And for Satan's wicked man, the heart is evil. The second characteristic that we're given here twice is the fact that the evil schemes are designed to stir up conflict and dissension. And in the second occurrence of this particular idea, as we find in verse 19, is that this is a person who stirs up conflict among brothers, among sisters, among the people of God. Satan's wicked man enjoys and crafts conflict within the people of God. There's a lot of irony within chapter five, chapter six and chapter seven of the book of Proverbs. While Solomon spends the lion's share of those three chapters speaking against sexual sin, we know that at the end of his life, he lost wisdom because he succumbed. He gave in to sexual sin. And here we have Solomon warning his son, more than likely Rehoboam, the king who follows him, against stirring up conflict. And one of the first things that Rehoboam does after Solomon dies is divide the kingdom of Israel. He sows conflict among his brothers to such a deep, deep level that the kingdom is ripped in half. You have the northern half and the southern half. How does he do this? He does this in many ways. We see this. We see Satan's wicked man sow discord and dissent through the words that he uses. How many times here do we have communication talked about? We have a lying tongue. 
we have a false witness who pours out lies. That there's this idea that the words that are used to communicate by Satan's wicked man are words that are designed to plot and to plant conflict and dissension. He even does it with nonverbal communication. He does it with looks, with with squintings of the eyes, signaling with his feet and motioning with his fingers. We've all done that, haven't we? We've given people that wicked look, hoping that they would just wither with the look that we give them. We're we're talking about a, a an anonymous person and then we think it or the people we're talking to think it's an anonymous person until such time as one of those people turns their back and we kind of sneakily point to the person that we're actually talking about. Or we hold up our hand like this where we think they can't see us and we point over like this. We have these nonverbal cues that we use to plant and to plot deception And Satan, wicked man, is artistic in the communication that he uses. He's also proud in his looks. He has haughty eyes. He rushes into evil. His hands destroy people as they shed innocent blood. The heart of the villainous scoundrel, Satan's wicked man, manifests itself in bodily actions in words that we use. And we can begin to see why the command back in chapter 3 to guard our heart is so important. Because it not only causes us problems when we don't guard our hearts, but we destroy other people when we don't guard our hearts. Because the reality is that it's not just one or two peoples whose heart is deceitfully wicked. Solomon doesn't say, hey, that guy over there, his heart is deceitfully wicked. Or that woman over there, her heart is deceitfully wicked. Solomon says the human heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And before we look at the better path, we need to rest there for a minute. Because we need to beware of hating these sins in others without first hating them in ourselves. I found myself as I was studying, as I was preparing for this, thinking about people that I interact with on Facebook, thinking about them and going, man, these people really should read Proverbs chapter six. And then I read the sentence I just read to you from Matthew Henry's commentary. We need to beware hating these sins and others without first hating them in ourselves. Boy, that'll stop you in the middle of sermon prep if you're not careful. Think about that. How often do we look at these and we say, oh, man, I know I know somebody who exactly acts like that. And they should really hear this. You might even have been thinking before I got to this part of the sermon, you might even have been thinking, hey, I know who I'm going to email the link to this for this sermon, too. See, the problem is I'm Satan's wicked man. You are Satan's wicked man or woman, and you and I seek to carry out the things listed here in Proverbs 6, 12 through 19. We seek to become artistic at sowing discord because we are proud, we are haughty, and the heart is deceitful above all things. And it's beyond cure except for one thing. 
God gave us the cure. This week we talked about the Last Supper in Sunday school. And we talked about that night of Jesus' life. And we talked about the fact that nothing that happened in Jesus' life, even the cross, even the betrayal, even the false trial that he underwent, surprised him because he walked into this life taking on flesh, taking on the form of the servant for this one sure purpose of satisfying God's wrath and hatred against sin. That means that the remedy for you and me is our faith in God, in the truth of his word that he provides salvation for those who believe, who confess with their mouth that God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. We, thanks be to God, are not in danger of being destroyed without remedy. He has provided a remedy. And for those that embrace that, we have been changed from being Satan's wicked man or Satan's wicked woman to being God's righteous servant. And because we are God's righteous servant through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we can follow a better path. A path that God laid out for us through His Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5. We have... Eight characteristics here, seven of which I'm going to look at in light of the seven characteristics of Satan's wicked man. Instead of pride and arrogance, we should pursue being poor in spirit. One who is poor in spirit is one who understands who they are as the creature before God, who understands that they are in desperate need of salvation and it can only be found in God. And the reward for that is not just judgment. It is the kingdom of heaven. Instead of being people who are marked by a lying tongue, we should be marked, be people who are marked by mourning, mourning for our sin and the sins of others. That's a picture that we have there in the Beatitudes, that second Beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. We don't go around weepy all the time, but like Peter, after he betrayed Jesus, who wept bitterly. We should mourn over the sin in our lives and the sins of this world. And instead of judgment, we get comforted, comforted by the gospel, comforted by the knowledge of that we are forgiven. Blessed are the meek. It doesn't say blessed are the doormat, brothers and sisters. It says blessed are the meek. Meek is a word and many times used to describe a war horse that has been broken and ready for battle. So instead of hands that seek to destroy others, we should allow God to break us and make us ready for battle according to the word of God. We seek to destroy sin in our own lives rather than seeking to destroy others. And we, for that, will inherit the earth rather than finding judgment. Instead of a heart that desires, a heart that hungers and thirsts after wicked schemes, God's righteous servant hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Is the driving passion in your life to grow in righteousness? Or to devise ways to put others down? Fifth, instead of feet that rush to do evil, God's righteous servant is merciful. We give people the benefit of the doubt. We seek to offer forgiveness even when it's not asked. 
Instead of being a false witness, God's righteous servant is pure in heart. Several months ago, I had an opportunity to sit and and listen to a, a young man talk about his relationship with Jesus. And he said one of the things that has helped him the most is realizing the truth of what Paul talks about in Colossians and in others of his letters is that we are holy, we are chosen, we are beloved. That is a truth. That is a reality about you and me. We are pure in heart through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now we have this this outer man of flesh that fights against that purity of heart. It, it seeks to embrace the schemes of the evil one and, and it seeks to become artistic and discord. But we should pursue the reality that is already ours. We are pure in heart. We are pure in spirit. And because of that, we will see God. And lastly, instead of stirring up dissension, God's righteous servant is a peacemaker. Instead of seeking to cause conflict, instead of wading into conflict and stirring the pot. We seek peace, God's peace that he promises. And yes, if we live out this path in our life, the eighth one will then be true of us as well. The world will hate us. The world will persecute us. But we will glorify God. So instead of seeking to be Satan's wicked man or Satan's wicked woman, we should seek to be God's righteous servant. We've just discussed two lists that describe a person enslaved to Satan or a person who is God's servant. As we have looked at Satan's wicked man and the things that Mark him, those, those things, a heart that, des, that devises wicked schemes, haughty eyes, lying lips, hands that seek to shed innocent blood, feet that rush into evil, lips that pour forth false witness, and finally, a heart that seeks to stir up dissension versus being poor in spirit, being mourning sin, seeking meekness, seeking Um, righteousness, seeking mercy, seeking purity in heart and seeking to be a peacemaker. I ask you right now, stop for a moment and ask. Which list describes you best? As you look on your life, as you look on your interactions within this community, within this church, within your family, even yes, on social media, are your words, are your actions marked more By the passage in Proverbs or by the passage in Matthew. Think about your reactions to people in this room. Are your interactions with them marked by a desire for destruction or failure or desire for peace and for righteousness? Think about the people in your home. Are your relationships with them marked by mercy and humility or by manipulation and arrogance? Think about the people in the wider community. Are your interactions, your relationships with them marked by the desire for the thrill of evil? Are they marked by or are they marked by a mourning over your own sin and a pursuit of righteousness? How would your church life, your family life, your community life, your social media life change if in each of those areas you pursued by the power of the Holy Spirit the Beatitudes? 
rather than that list of things that God hates in Proverbs 6? How would your own sanctification change if you if you pursued growing into the person that God has declared you to be through the mark, through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Because of Jesus, we have no excuse not to put aside the list in Proverbs 6 and to strive for the list in Matthew 5. We are just left with the question, will you do the work? Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we are humbled by the reality that as we study this list in Proverbs 6, each and every one of us in this room sometimes strives to be marked more by that list than the list that we are supposed to strive for because we have been changed by Jesus. Help us to repent. Help us to turn from the ways of the villain and the scoundrel to turn toward the ways of your righteous servant. Help us to mourn over our sin. Help us to have poverty of spirit. Help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Help us to grow in meekness. Help us to be merciful, to be pure in heart, and to be a peacemaker so that you may be glorified in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we wrap up today, please take your hymn book, turn to hymn number 300. Holiness is hard. It takes time. And please make sure you are taking that time to be holy. And so let us stand and sing and be reminded of this call upon our lives to let us take time and to be holy.
As you go this week, as you walk upon the road that God has called you to walk upon in your life, as difficult as it may be right now, I, I give you this blessing. Peace and mercy to all who boast in the cross of Christ alone. Friends, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And we echo the prayer of the saints for years. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.